Welcome to the Defence Forces podcast brought to you by the Defence Forces Public Relations Branch. Hello and welcome to the Irish Defence Forces podcast. My name is Captain Keen Clancy and today we're recording from the Irish Naval Service Base at Hall Boland, County Cork and we'll be discussing Operation Pontus, the Naval Service deployment to the Mediterranean which began in 2015 and ended in 2017. In April 2015, the world watched in horror as the deadliest day in modern history played out in the Mediterranean Sea. Approximately 800 migrants fleeing war-torn countries and moving through North Africa drowned in seas off Libya. The international community and EU leaders decided that something needed to be done to combat such an extreme loss of life. Ireland's response to this migrant crisis was Operation Pontus. Operation Pontus was a bilateral agreement between Ireland and Italy to combat the loss of life at sea and bring people at risk to safety in Sicily. Antishik at the time, Enda Kenny, and his government decided that Ireland would play its part. Elietna was ready to go within three weeks of the government's decision to deploy. Today, we are talking to Captain Kenneth Minahan, Officer Commanding Naval Operations Command, who at the time was deployed as a senior national representative to coordinate between Italian and Irish military assets. Lieutenant Commander Alan Flynn, who was the search and rescue officer on Ellie Neve during her deployment, which includes operating in the RIB on the 5th of August 2015 when a fishing vessel capsized and Warrant Officer and Master-at-Arms Ray Dignam, who was the coxswain on Ellie Etna pre and during the first deployment to Operation Pontus, and was the leading NCO in the planning, organising and motivation of personnel aboard the ship. Welcome on, gentlemen. Thanks very much for agreeing to talk to me today. I'm delighted to be here. So normally I kind of go through and, and, and sort of ask you your kind of backgrounds and that kind of stuff, but I think we've given a little bit of a flavour of that already. So I'm just going to kick into a few a few questions um, on Operation Pontus, which, which was the first deployment overseas of the Naval Service um, in the history of the Irish Defence Forces, I believe I'm correct in saying. So how did the Navy react to the news that they would be deploying on Operation Pontus? Uh, I think um, the Naval Service reacted very well. I was working in force at the time and force is our standards um, section in the Naval Service and we worked very closely with Elietna and the crew on board that ship to deploy in what was a very tight turnaround. And it was due to the professional ability of the ship and all sections of the Naval Service and indeed the Defence Forces to be able to give support to that mission that resulted in what was uh, a very tragic but um, successful operation for the Irish Defence Forces. Three weeks does seem like a really, a really, really fast turnaround, you know what I mean, to deploy on a mission. It was a very, very fast turnaround. We were actually on patrol uh, on the Etna. Uh, we were two weeks into a our MDSO and uh, we came in for our guardship weekend so we laid up here for two days and that's we were told uh, we were heading to the mid so kicked off from there and like what was it like turning the Etna around from maritime defence and security operations to basically humanitarian search and rescue operations um, it wasn't easy uh, but um, ship's company turned to fairly quickly the, the big one was to get the, the new personnel on board and bed them in straight away get the administration in order, get our supplies down. We said to ourselves that we were going to draft our SOPs en route because we didn't have any. So that's what we did. Wow. That must have been an interesting one, yeah, to draft them en route. I yes, think sir. there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of things that we had to consider that were were not um, particularly obvious to us. And it was only within with consultation with the director of the medical um, section and with other agencies in Europe, such as the Maltese, who we had a very good relationship and were experienced in, in migrant operations at the time or humanitarian operations. And through discussions with them, we identified the important things that we needed to consider. 
And one of those things was um, safety of the crew from infection. And a, a whole raft of procedures had to be put in place. The equipment had to be bought and put on board and personnel trained in a very short period of time. And that was a huge challenge. But the crew, as always, stood up to that challenge and, and did the job in, a, in an incredibly professional way. But like even down to the consideration of we were going to be taking children and indeed babies on board. We had never even considered the fact that we would have to bring nappies. We yeah. had to go down to that level of detail in preparedness to do the operations. And when it was only because of the level of knowledge that we were able to garner from other agencies that we had worked with in Europe um, that allowed us to, to develop the SOPs, as the Warren said, on the way down that allowed the ship to, 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 to operate in a, what was a very difficult environment. Yes, yeah, and a lot of the images you'd see, th th these images are of um, Navy service personnel and medics in, in like PPE of the type that we've probably become very familiar with during coronavirus. But certainly something you wouldn't necessarily consider before we go down that risk of infection and that kind of need to, to wear PPE and things like that. And, and one of the points that, that always springs to my mind is the fact that we were working in environments with people that were highly infected and not one Irish sailor or soldier got infected in any way during that whole operation of Pontus. Um, it was a credit to the the standard of planning and professionalism of the Defence Forces to be able to put in place an operation such as Pontus in such a short period of time and protect its own personnel. Well, I suppose from the perspective of kind of skill sets, what kind of unique skill sets that the Navy Service were able to bring to the mission, have you any kind of um, observations on that? Well, I think primarily the, the biggest skill set that we brought was um, our ability to to manoeuvre at sea and conduct small boat operations. Um, I think our experience of that over the last 75 years of the, of the Navy's history fed into that quite seamlessly. You know, we had our procedures for um, launching and recovering ribs, um, you know, all those SOPs were there. So we were we were already at a very good standard um, in terms of our small boat operations, which primarily was was the big was the was the major operation that we had down there was our ability to get boats and its per and ship's personnel off the ship to a, a a platform in distress and get those people back on board. Our ability to conduct those operations um, definitely stood to us before we went down. So we were quite confident in our ability in, in that sphere, certainly. And I suppose, um, would there be a, a significant difference between the conditions you would encounter, say, in the Atlantic, I would presume, would be very different to what you might encounter in the Mediterranean from a kind of a, a weather perspective and a conditions perspective? Uh, the conditions were, were much different in the fact that we, we operate in very rough seas off the West Coast. And we were working in much more benign conditions in the Mediterranean. But the one big difference was the temperature. To operate in the kind of conditions that we were operating in the, in the Mediterranean required us to have different considerations for crew uh, safety, uh, hydration, uh, regular swap around of personnel to make sure that they weren't uh, getting exhausted. And we were talking about operations that were lasting for 14, 15 hours, uh, recovering the personnel. Then we had to set sail with uh, and mine those people on, on the deck uh, to a port that was designated by the Italian authorities. So, 
you you could have some people working on operation for for 36 to 48 hours with with possibly only you know uh, eight hours sleep in that 48 hours so it was a, an extremely uh, difficult operation but it just shows the level of professionalism that we have in the defense forces and the naval service that we were able to conduct that operation in the way we did and save as many lives as were saved I suppose my next question does relate to that kind of high tempo environment that you've mentioned there, the, the lack the kind of eight hours sleep and 48 hours and real. And, and you've mentioned the professionalism and how our personnel, but can, can we go in a little bit into how our personnel reacted to that, say, upswing in, in, in tempo? Very positively. Um, I remember uh, the, first, the first barge we took, um, I think there were 600 people we took off that. And um, we had a lot of young crew members that never come across anything like this before. And there was a young baby handed in to them. And that was the start, you know, just a little infant. And just had to react and, and just kind of react go and get going, yeah, yeah, yeah get yeah. going. So, so obviously there was an awful lot of kind of adapting to do, but 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 we 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 managed to achieve that in a very short space of time. They did, yeah. We, we sort of teamwork and uh, our values that we have, you know, we rely on each other, and uh, once we get that right, the rest of it just comes uh, comes in naturally, you know. And and from your, your your perspective as the senior NCO on board on board the ship as, as the coxswain, did you see that a lot of, of guys having to lean on each other? Obviously, not only in the difficult physical conditions, but very difficult emotional conditions that they that they had to rely on each other in, in very trying circumstances. I did. Um I had to raise my voice twice in four months. Oh. That was it. There was never uh, any other reason. That was <laughs> it was uh, something else. But on deck when we were taking the migrants on board, everybody just got their shoulder to the wheel and and got it done, you know. That's fantastic. It's a, it's a real, it's a real testament. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the 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 biggest thing was to see the reaction, as the as uh, the warrant has said, of the younger people who have never been, who were just dropped in at the deep end, and they'd never had any experience of anything like this of any sort, and their ability just to just to get on with the job. Um, and I think everybody realised very, very quickly that we were kind of serving a higher purpose, that we were, you know, we were there to protect those who couldn't protect themselves. And once people got geared into that and once people came to that realisation, um, you know, they just, everything everything just fell into place, you know, and um, there was never any, certainly in my experience, there was very little or none. There was no... Um, there was no moaning, there was no cribbing. It was a case of we have a job here to do. People out there depend on us um, to be there for them and to provide a a rescue and be a certain level of care to get them to the other end. Yeah. Um, you know, it was you know there was more often than not there was certainly smiling faces on deck than 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 otherwise. You know, so yeah. it was you know everybody kind of had the attitude that, right, we're here to do a job and the job is worth doing and it's worth doing well. So, and, and that's what we did. We talked about the preparation that we put in, but there was no level of preparation could have prepared anybody for the, the, the level of tempo and the number of people that we were rescuing. Like we went down there with the, with the view that we might be rescuing 250, 300 people. As the warrant said, the first rescue was 600 people. Yeah. And that's a phenomenal amount of people to have on the deck. Make sure that they're secure. Make sure that they're fed. Make sure they have enough water. 
and that might have been for a 36-hour period that we had that many people while, while transiting back up to the port as it, that was designated by the Italian authorities. And um, I agree with, with the lads, the level of pride in the crew of all the ships that went down there was phenomenal. They realised that they were doing an exceptional job uh, and they rose to the occasion un- unbelievably well. Okay, so what I want to move into next is I just want to ask you, what, what was the working relationship like between between ourselves and the Italian Navy during Operation Pontus? I'll just, I'll take that one there, Keen. Um It was an exceptionally good relationship. Um, I went down as a senior national representative to join the the Etna when she was finishing her deployment so I could get a full debriefing from um, the captain, uh, Commander uh, Commander Donald, O'Donnell at the time and um, Pierce was able to give me a very, very good insight to what the operation entailed and part of my job as a senior national representative was to liaise directly with the the officer in charge of the operation um, from Operation Mari Sicuro, which was the Italian mission that we were uh, liaising with. And I, w- I was there to try and um, buffer the captain's requirement to deal with both the embassies and the Italian authorities and to allow him to, 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 to manage the ship and to command the ship. So... Um, it became very apparent very quickly that the Italians had huge regard for the work that the the Etna had done, and they were they viewed us very much as uh, one of the strongest assets in the operation, and they called on us significantly um, during uh, my time and on, on all the ships down there. Um, so I, I would say that the Italians were very impressed with the level of professionalism and an ability that the, the Irish ships showed. And as at a kind of more operational, more kind of tactical level, sort of like did we have personnel on Italian ships in a liaison capacity or? Yeah, we, we had uh, we had liaison officers on Irish liaison officers on the Italian ships. Um that wasn't always the case. Um we 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 withdrew them I would say after about the first three ships. Um but we always had a, an Italian liaison officer on board our ships because we felt that was a, a better use of liaison uh, because w- we were able to communicate closely with the liaison officer on board and he could express our opinions then uh, through the um, the Italian uh, force commander's option. 100% okay. Um, and like we spoke a bit about that it was a very, very high tempo and that, you know, that, that there, was, that there was an awful lot going on and, and the numbers of migrants that were coming on board ships was far in excess of even what the estimates had been. But just can we go into like say the operation tempo or what what's a, a typical typical I know there's probably no typical day but the typical day on Operation Pontus was like say for the crew on board on board of one of our own vessels. Um, I'll kick off there. I mean, I was um, I was the search and rescue officer on Neve when we were down there in 2015, but I was also a bridge watchkeeper, so I stood the the four to eight watch. Um, in from say four four a.m. to to eight a.m. and it was typically during that period that the the alert would be given to us that there was a platform in distress in our AO, and that you know that's where the that's where our operation would kick off essentially. So any time between four and eight, typically around six o'clock in the morning, we get a phone call or an alert to say we want you to go here, we want you to go down to this position and kind of suss out these three or four 
um, PIDs that that might be suspect or um, that we, we feel might need um, assistance. So from that time, it kicked off. And from that time, um, you had the ship's XO prepping um, all the, the personnel, getting them ready, getting them geared up, getting them suited up. Um, it was my job then to get the, the ribs and my team ready. Um, the XO then had to get all his deck crew ready. Um, so that would take maybe about an hour and as we refined things and as uh, as the operation went on, we were able to get that done an awful lot quicker. So, you know, from getting the call to getting ourselves to be in a position to make an assessment of the situation, to getting on board or to getting the ribs um, off the ship and out to the pids, it could take anywhere between maybe an hour to an hour and a half. And from then on, Depending on the numbers that we were that we were faced with, it could take anything from two hours up to 12, 13, 14 hours before an operation was finished. And all through that time, you've both gone back and forth um, with personnel, who, with people who had been rescued. Um, you've got the deck, the personnel on deck, um, registering those people as they come on, taking their personal details, finding out where they're from, you know, getting their family kind of story for want of a better word, and getting them placed, getting them fed initially, getting them water, making sure they had um, blankets, making sure that the family units uh, remained together um, and, you know, spacing them out and putting them in onto areas of the deck that they'd be, they'd, they'd be most protected from the elements. Um, and once, we'll say, taken um, an extreme event, where it would have taken 12 or 13 hours to get through all of that process. We then had um, maybe anything from 12 to 36 hours of a transit from the AO up to a, a port of safety. So already we're, we're into uh, 24 hours, 36 hours. And all through that 36 hours, you've got the rotation of the watches on board. You've got the rotation of the deck watches on, on, on the upper decks and um, providing the the ongoing care for the people that we'd um, rescued. And then it's a case of getting into port and getting those people uh, from the ship over and handed over to the, the NGOs that were, that were waiting to take them, um, take, uh, take them to, to whatever centre that they, that they were going to be housed in for, for a period of time. So anything from, you know, um, 24 hours to 48 hours crews were constantly going constantly constantly on the move um, all the below deck work had still remained um, you had the engineers the logisticians uh, the bridge watch keepers um, they all had to continue their normal routine as well as maintain uh, the, the safety and security of the people that were that we'd taken on board so it was the, the operation didn't end until after we'd gotten in, after all the people had been disembarked and after we disinfected the ship, given a small bit of downtime to turn the ship around to go back out to the AO. So it was... Kicked the process off again. Yeah, yeah. And from a fatigue perspective, and or not, I might just ask you, from a fatigue perspective, would you have seen it amongst the crew, like that this tempo, obviously not take away from professionalism and, and, and the, you the would, job yeah, was done? Definitely. Um, there was one particular incident. Um, there was a leading seaman, O'Leary, 
and we couldn't understand why she was getting so tired. But uh, she was doing body searches, so she had to start the shoulders, work down through the body, and back up again. And she was doing that 600 times. So her legs yeah. were absolutely wasted. She was body squatting 600 times. So but you would, just wouldn't... You wouldn't even think of it. Yeah, it wouldn't even cross yeah. your mind. You just, yeah. as, we, as we moved along and as we developed, we, we started using the migraines to help us along. So even little things like taking off their light jackets and stowing them in a bag as they passed by us, it meant that one of our guys was freed up and could settle down a little bit more, you know? Yeah, yeah. So you were using the natural information that was coming to you to help you. And you were streamlining your, your procedures, I just Absolutely. based on experience. The minute it kicked off in the morning, that was it. You were full on. You were like, and our skill set within the ribs, especially the small boats, as was pointed out, was at 100%. I mean, it was something that we were very good at. An example was we took 600, uh, 600 people on board and the HMS Bulwark was working with us. So we were told to offload them again. So we just took 600 people on deck, took us maybe 10 hours. Then we had to offload them again to uh, put them out to HMS Bulwark. We were able to operate faster than them. Which is which is which is mind-boggling when you when you think of it. Well, I presume the bulwark is large, it's a larger ship. It is, yeah. She's a landing craft, and uh, like we were able to offload our people faster than these guys. Just and again another testament, and we're seeing a lot of kind of examples of this professionalism and professional skill. Um, the day of the capsize that was mentioned earlier, the fishing vessel capsize we mentioned earlier, appears to be like a standout day for the operation. Can we kind of drill down into exactly what happened on that particular day um, and, and the kind of the kind of events? surrounding it um, but whenever we got information from the Italians or whatever source it came in from that there was a there was a vessel in in distress uh, we would always proceed directly to that location uh, on that particular day there was a number of vessels in the area that uh, we, we had no indication of which vessel it was there was a number of fishing vessels there so we had to go and investigate uh, each one and when we came across this vessel initially, there was nobody on deck. We couldn't see anybody that made us indicate or, or indicated to us that that was the vessel we were we were sent towards. And and the, the captain started to turn away at the uh, because we thought that it was just another fishing vessel. But just as we turned away, we started to see heads pop up on the deck because they they would all be told to stay down low to, t to keep the centre of gravity as low as possible. So when we saw the head started to, to pop up, then we knew that that was the vessel we were looking at or we were looking for. And um, the captain turned the ship back around towards the, the fishing vessel. Now, you must, you must kind of appreciate that we had to retain a distance away from the vessels that we were trying to rescue because the last thing we wanted was to get close enough that people would consider jumping overboard and trying to ship, swim towards the ship. So we were we were about two miles away at this stage. So as Alan already said, um, when we identified the, the platform in distress that we're going towards, um, then the procedure starts. There is, there is a whole, um, the SOPs we spoke about at the start, um, they all kick in and the whole ship's company is involved in those SOPs to prepare the ship to, to rescue people. And as we started the procedure, um, more and more people started appearing on this fishing vessel. And just as our boats started to leave the ship, and I was on the bridge at the time, um, the ship started to list. And she, she went to starboard, went to port, and all of a sudden she just started sinking. 
um, it happened extremely quickly. Uh, I was I was I was amazed at how fast that vessel just disappeared beneath the waves, and that that resulted in what could only be considered as as carnage on on the sea, um, with about three hundred and fifty uh, to four hundred people um, on uh, on the ocean surface, and we had two boats to try and to try and deal with that. Um, we also had to be very conscious of the fact that we couldn't risk putting our boats in danger. So uh, they had to be very careful about how they operated on that particular day. Um, so the captain decided that the launching of some life rafts was, was uh, we, we carried extra life rafts with us because it was something that we had considered in our planning phase. So um, the the lads went off in the boats and uh, and Alan would probably be the, the best man to tell you about that because he was the guy on, on the boat at the time. I remember I remember that morning and as um, Captain Menen just said there that we were we were stood up, we were stood down, and I remember I was I was sitting in the shade um, on on the upper decks uh, waiting for the waiting for the go and um, all of a sudden it was just all hell broke loose. Um, so we got into the boat, we got launched, and within 30 seconds of us being in the water um you could see the the fishing vessel teeter list back and forth and i was within i'd say we were within 150 yards of the of the vessel when she just went over she went over to starboard and it was really really quick and I can remember issuing a couple of expletives over the over the radio uh, as this the scene just unfolded in front of our eyes. Um, I, I couldn't believe it. And the the speed at which we had to react um, was was nothing we'd seen um, before. Now, it was actually... That capsize had actually come on the back of another previous incident. Um, so it was, it was a really busy week and we were we were quite highly tuned and, and well geared up. Um, but... We had to be very, very careful um, in both ribs that we didn't get too close initially because so many people had gone into the water and as we were making our approach, people were swimming towards us and trying to um, put their hands in the rib, drag themselves over. And my primary concern was that if enough people did that, that they'd wind up capsizing at least one of our ribs. So we had to, we had to manage that situation very, very carefully. And it was... Initially, it was a case of getting as many um, flotation devices into the water as we possibly could so that people had something to hold on to or possibly even get on to themselves before they made an attempt or before we made any attempts to pull people in off to, out of the water. Um, again, the, the, the ship's reaction was, was very quick as well in that the, the life rafts that we had brought with us, they were deployed almost instantly um and pretty quickly um i don't know word must have been getting out from the ship to other agencies that we had a, a catastrophe on our hands here that other agencies then started to pitch in the italian navy had arrived pretty quickly there was uh, one or two um 
and Joe um, boats had arrived pretty quickly to provide assistance. There were helicopters in the air dropping life rafts, you know, so it all it all happened very, very quickly. And I think the, op- the, the entire operation took about six hours, but we were on the go rapid pace, really, really high tempo for a full six hours. And I can remember at one point um, the the adrenaline rush. I could feel the adrenaline rush in my fingers. My fingertips were were like buzzing. You know, I was it was really it was not to not to be blase about it or anything, but it was you know, you, you got that hit of adrenaline is something that I'd never experienced before. Um, and our ability to get people out of the water um, onto a life raft, onto our, onto our ribs, you know, as quickly as we did and to save as many people as we did was, was phenomenal. Um, at, you know, there was peer, people there with various levels of injuries that we had to, that we kind of had to prioritise. We had to even prioritise taking the living out of the water before the before the already deceased, um, you know, just to to preserve as much life as as humanly possible. Um, yeah, that was that was a that was a long and that was a rough day. Um, but it had come on, as I said before, it had come on the back of of a long um, and a, a stressful week where we had a previous incident where we where we kind of dealt with um, quite a lot of. A lot of people and um, a, a lot of there was a lot of death as well on the previous on the previous operation. So we were kind of we were kind of in the zone whereby we knew now that okay, there's the potential here for a significant loss of life, and we just had to you know get our heads around that and just get to the living as as quickly as we could and and deal with the rest then thereafter. Um, and there was there was a significant kind of clean up operation afterwards. Um, after we'd rescued um, um, the living, we had, we had a significant kind of uh, clean up operation to do um, with the other agencies afterwards. So there was there was a lot to deal with that day. And how do you prepare yourself mentally for that, sir? Um, there is no preparation for that. Um, to be perfectly honest, um, the the previous week um, we had another operation where we had six or seven hundred. Um, in a large barge and we throughout the day we were getting reports of deceased people on board and again we just had to prioritise the living over the dead first just to get them sorted and then deal with the with the with the clean up and the mop up afterwards and that was um, that was a particularly different difficult um, evening also and that's another one that went that went on well well into the the, the dark hours to get to to get that operation over the line, but back to the back to the um the the, ca- the day of the capsize, um, we'd kind of gotten reports that although we had three hundred and fifty possibly four hundred people entered the water, there was a lot of people that didn't make it off that off that boat at all, um, and there was there was um I believe there was significant kind of um uh there was legal um issues after that where there was court cases and you know um people were prosecuted um for for their actions um you know putting people into into a situation where they sh- where they shouldn't have been 
Um, so I believe there were, there were prosecutions following on from actually evidence that we'd provided. We, we were always conscious of the fact that uh, we were dealing with criminal organisations that were smuggling people illegally and making a lot of money from it. So what our pr priority was to, 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 to maintain life and to, to rescue people, we were always conscious of the fact that there was, there was information that we could give to the Italians that might lead to a prosecution of smugglers. So we were always on the lookout for people who looked like as if they were, they were part of the smuggling operation and we would pass that information on. Um, so it, 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 as Alan said, it quickly came to light that there was uh, from, from people on deck telling the crew on deck that there was anything up to 350 people were in the hold and the smugglers locked them in there. And um, the vessel was taking on water and that those, those 300 or 300, 350 people um, perished and they, they, had no, they had no possibility of making it out, you know. Um, uh, you asked earlier on about how do you prepare yourself mentally for that. There, there is no way to prepare yourself for that kind of an incident. But the one thing that I will say is that the Defence Forces had a mechanism that sprung into action very shortly, immediately actually. And um, the PSS team met us in, in Palermo when we when we arrived in to disembark. Personal support the, the service. Pers yeah. The personal support service, yeah. They they, they met us in um, in Palermo when we went in to disembark the, the living and, and the deceased persons that we had on board. And um, they sat down with us and they did it in a very professional way in that, you know, there was no, come on in here, you're, you're talking to me. You know, they... They engaged us in conversation in a, in a kind of a, a very relaxed manner and, and, you know, encouraged us to talk about what we had seen. And, um, you know, I, I think there's a tendency in the military to think we're all hard and we're, we're tough men and women. Uh, but it was the first time that I'd ever um, felt that, you know, it was good to talk about it. Yeah because I felt that the, the the professionals in the personal support services that were that were there to assist us were giving us um, the opportunity to express what we had seen and talk about it and and mull it over and you know the, the one thing that 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 really came to my mind was that they were they were really pushing the fact that everybody on board had done absolutely everything everything they possibly could and had worked above and beyond what they, they could do in order to make sure that as many people were saved as possible. So while you can't really prepare yourself beforehand, the, the support was there afterwards to make sure that our personnel were, um, were, were, were looked after as best as possible. And it's amazing. Uh, and unless you've gone to sea on a ship, you don't understand this. I'm just going to say that actually mm -hmm. ship's companies are very tight, huh? very, very tight in the community. And uh, if you see a change in behaviour in somebody, it could be anything small, especially after an incident like that, you know, it flags straight away. So you, you bring him aside or bring her aside and you have a conversation. You might have to bring it to the captain's table. You might have to bring it to the coxswain's table. But we're constantly looking out for each other, especially in an op like that. Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, and it's wonderful, obviously, to hear of the professionalism of, of as we as we all the personal support service. But that's just another thing to say that there are supports there for for people who've experienced um, difficult incidents like that. Just on the on the note of support, um, what was the reaction aboard the ships to say the upswing of public support, say from home? It, be, it Operation Pontus would have brought the naval service front and foremost, say in the media and probably into the public eye in a way that maybe the defence force isn't isn't normally. Um, was there much of a reaction on board ship from from that? 
Um, it certainly buoyed a lot of people. Um, yeah, th- just knowing that you know our that our work was being recognised, um, and that you know there was people at home, um, you know waiting for us, um, to come home. There was um reports in 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 news that you know we were out there doing a worthwhile job. Um, yeah, it um it certainly gave it certainly gave um gave us an added lift. Um, when we needed it, you know, um, the messages of support were, were coming in almost daily to say, look, people are proud of you. The state is proud of you. Um, the people at home are proud of us. Um, and, you know, that, yeah, that did help. And it came, it was, it was most striking, I suppose, when, when we came home and our arrival at home, um, when we were coming in, um, into Cork Harbour. Um, the amount of people that lined the key walls, both on the naval base and over in Cove, there was flags waving, there was people cheering. The kids were given days off school to come down and, and welcome us home. Um, yeah, it was it was good to to know that you know that people were getting an understanding of what we were going through as well. Um, yeah, it's it certainly kind of gave us a boost and gave us that extra kind of motivation. Not that we needed it to you know, to carry on and, and, and to bring everyone home safely. Yeah. There yeah. was, there was one particular story that I remember being told uh, by one of the ship's officers that really kind of brought it home to me how, how much support we had from the Irish public. And that was uh, an officer that was serving on the base at the time was going to Dublin for a meeting and he was in uniform and he stopped off in one of the service stations on the way up to Dublin. And he was, uh, he was buying his cup of coffee and his sandwich um, before he proceeded on his journey. And a family came over to him and offered to pay for the coffee and the sandwich because he was a member of the Naval Service. And when we got the news on board the ship at that time, that meant a lot to us, like. Yeah. meant a lot to us. The people of Ireland were were willing to support us, even, you know, on the ground at home, that they were, it wasn't just the people who were out there, but it also, um, the people that were serving at home were getting that recognition as well. And uh, when we came home and we were brought to um, the Oris Neutron to meet the president for Patrick's Day in 2016, 16. that was a that was a great day for for all of us, you know, to to be able to to go to the Oris and meet the president and uh, to be recognised in that way was a was a great a great day uh, for us. And, and we we all did. Uh, Alan used the word buoyed it up, buoyed us up, and it did really. It, it spurred us on to 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 go on even further, you know. It's amazing. To, it's in, it's kind of it, it's inspiring in a certain way to think about think about it that that, that you know that the public support you know from from our from from the rest of the countries. I mean, it is so important to the organisation. Um, just from from each of you, just as it was, we kind of kind of come closer to the end of the of the kind of discussion on on Operation Pontus. So for 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 each of you, your high, your highlights or or your lowlights of the actual of the actual operation you've experienced here. So maybe start with yourself, sir. Um, yeah, for me, I I suppose. Uh, it, it was a level of pride in in and and, and I would have I would have gone on nearly every ship in the operation uh, to as part of force to train each ship as as we went on. I spent the whole mission on Neve, and then we identified that a um, a program of of training and evaluation was necessary for each ship that travelled to the to the operation. After that, so I, I travelled with all of them. 
And I can honestly say that with no exceptions, the level of professionalism and pride that every ship's company took in their ship, in their mission, in their representation of, of Ireland was phenomenal. Um, Alan said it earlier on, there was, there was never any cribbing, there was never any moaning. It was just, let's get on and do this job. And to see that standard of, of work in a very, very difficult tempo and environment was absolutely phenomenal. The people that served on that operation in the Mediterranean were, were incredible. Fantastic. So serving as inspiration to maybe the next generation that's coming forward for future operations. For yourself, sir? Um, there's an obvious low light, um, which is the, the operation that preceded the capsize. Um, but, and I won't dwell on it, but the, the highlight for me is the we saw the best and we saw the worst of humanity in those four months. And we responded, we gave our best response um, as a country and as a service and a, as individuals. Every one of us gave the best response that we could. Um, and that was, I think that was that was the takeaway from it. Um, people dealt with stuff that they never would have dealt with before and certainly haven't since. People... Um, had travelled from far and wide, almost all over the globe, to get to that spot where we were, and through horrendous conditions, for months at a time, and we were the friendly face at the end of that journey, and we were the people that said, you're going to be okay, we're going to get you to where you need to be, but we're going to get you there safely, as best as we can. Um, and our reaction um you know day in day out that was that was the highlight for me and yourself warrant officer so the highlight for me was the behavior of the ship's company from the captain down to the ordinary seaman um we secured uh on thursday to sail on the monday and uh, we divided up the watches that everybody would have some time at home uh, to say goodbye to their loved ones and um on the friday night i was having a beer in my local rugby club and I got a, a phone call from my captain that we were on a recall. So we were to go on the, the next day on the Saturday. So at 11 o'clock on the Saturday, full muster of the ship's company, and we slipped and proceeded. We didn't know how long we were going down for. They were guessing three months, four months, six months, no one could tell us. We didn't know any allowances, and nor did we care. We just wanted to go down, get our game face on, and get into this operation. Fantastic. I mean, that's that's a real inspiring thing as well. And again, another testament to the professionalism of the ship's companies that, that went down. So on the back of Operation Pontus, how would you say that that operation prepared the Naval Service for, for, the, for the transition into Operation Sophia, firstly, but also for the transition in, into potential future operations for the Naval Service abroad? Um, I, I think Operation Pontus prepared us exceptionally well for for the operation that we undertook and in preparation for for Sophia. Um, but, um, you know, it, it gave us exposure to operating with other First World Navies. And to be able to to, to operate cheek to jowl with, with those type of, of navies 
and be an outstanding performer was exceptional. Um, and I was lucky enough to, to deploy to the headquarters in Rome of Operation Sophia um, just after our, our ship um, was, was deployed to, to, to Sophia. So I saw it from the, the operational side in the headquarters, how our ship performed. And um, everybody was hugely impressed with the performance of that ship um, and, and, and the ship that followed. Um, so I think that it prepared us exceptionally well. And the proof of that is how well we performed in Sophia. Yeah, I'd I'd echo that. I'd been I'd obviously done Pontus in twenty fifteen, but I deployed on Sophia in twenty eighteen with on Samuel Beckett, and we knew going down there that we were able to to operate with again the the first world navies and that our our attitudes and our procedures and um you know their those attitudes and those procedures work in any environment, um, provided they're you know you have the, the the right setup, and we had the right setup, uh, from the word go when we when we went on to Sofia again, and again the the praise and the plaudits that we got from, um, FHQ and OHQ while we were down there, um, were were fantastic, um, we were able to, you know, work really well, with um. Other, with the other navies that were deployed on the mission with us, the the amount of the information that we were able to get to higher command, from the tactical up to the operational levels, was phenomenal, and we were we were like the little ships that could, mm-hmm. um, and I think everybody should be equally proud of of the terms that they sent that they spent on and on Sophia as as they did on Pontus because they were two different missions, um, and you know. The, the attitudes and and the work rate were were equal on both from my perspective anyways wow. um, and we will do an operate we will do an episode at a, at a later date on operation Sophia yourself on officer Vini? uh very little to add to that really um for me um all our training our exercises that we had been doing back here we proved to ourselves and to external agencies that we can mix it with the best of them and we can we did that was an incredibly insightful account of 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 the operation it was really really excellent thank you all very much for, for coming on and joining us you're very welcome it's um it's great to be part of the podcast um and i I'd just like to say one last thing that that i didn't mention earlier on you know there was there was some talk during uh, especially 2016-17 about you know the ships rescuing people coming to Europe that weren't necessarily people that had the right to come to Europe. But the one thing that always um, inspired me when I was on the ships, and there's one thing, the w- one particular picture that I will never ever forget, and it's of three young boys sitting on the the gangway that was stowed on the ship. Uh, so they were sitting down and we took a picture of the three of them together. Those three young boys did not make the decision to try and make it to Europe. And t- to be able to to save the lives of those three individuals and all the, the, the children in particular that we did save was a very inspiring moment for all of us, I think, because they didn't make the decision whether they were going to try and make it to Europe or not. That decision was completely out of their hands. 
So, you know, to, to be able to, to save children in particular was was a, was a very inspiring um, time for us. And, and thank you for, for allowing us to, to share this story with, with other people. You're very welcome. Thank you very much, sir. For further information on the Irish Defence Forces podcast, check out our social media channels and military.ie. Serving members are also encouraged to check out this members area of military.ie. The Irish Defence Forces podcast is available on Spotify, Acast, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode was produced by Corporal Keith Harrison of the Defence Forces Audiovisual School. The Irish Defence Forces podcast will be back soon with new episodes. Until then, thanks for listening and stay safe.